Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to a, oops, I did it again, edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Yes, I own it. It's my signature move. To stumble headlong into the offseason only to wait just in time for A-Day and wonder what the heck happened to the first quarter of the year. A-Day kind of reminded me what a spot-on Will Anderson impression my job has been doing lately, which is to say it's kicking my ass on the regular. But deep breath, exhale, it's A-Day and a chance to sample some Alabama football. You know, between A-Day and a couple Zoom calls, I think I'm going to make it. And uh, speaking of the Zoom calls, this is all you're going to get in terms of a hard sell. Speaking of the Zoom calls, you don't want to miss the next one. You absolutely don't. Uh, it's Saturday, April 23rd. There's still time. Uh, it's a never-been-done-before podcast event. You certainly don't want to miss it. Uh, support the show, support the team, support, the, like I said, the podcast, and uh, join us Saturday. There's information on the website. All right, enough of that. A-Day, Alabama spring game. So for my money, spring is about individual performers, and uh, it's building the components of the team. Uh, not really building a, uh, a roster, so to speak, but it's uh, about the individual performers that are going to congeal together in the fall and uh, form the backbone of the team. Uh, we've got, you know, split rosters. We've got rotations that are completely unsettled. It's not a full team. Uh, there's still freshmen that are coming in. There may be some transfers, and uh, it's a scaled-down playbook. Saban even mentioned it. We're not going to do anything exotic and, and put it on, on film uh, in spring, and that's true of both sides of the ball, offense. Uh, and defense, and so what you're what you're getting is is something that is that is of Alabama football, but it's not authentically uh, Alabama football. Individual individual efforts are going to lead the way, and uh, that's great. And it is at the same time misleading. Uh, Ajay Hall comes to mind in that context. So we're going to step through it. I've got about maybe I don't know twenty or more uh, sort of quick hit conversations. We'll try to rapid fire them. Uh, we'll see how that goes. And kind of get the the frame of you know the Alabama state of mind leading into uh, this post spring uh, off season. We'll start with offense because frankly I think that's the only way I know how to do this. And uh, speaking of which, we're going to start with Bryce Young because that seems to be a pretty good pattern. I, I'll keep this pretty short. Uh, I really like how Bryce is stepping into his own as a leader on the team. Uh, leadership was something that may have been in question some last year, and I think Bryce is is really growing into that role. Uh, if you look at his presence uh, in press conferences and uh, in some of his interviews and, and what he talks about doing with the receivers, uh, I think he's really on a on a positive trajectory here. And I think that I think that's pretty exciting for uh, the program. Uh, sticking with a quarterback position, Jalen Milrow is just an athletic beast. I think Matt Berry, not a fan of Matt Berry, but one of you know Matt Berry said this is like a build a quarterback. If you had a build a bear version of building a quarterback, or at least a football player, Jalen Milrow is gonna, is going to be uh, what you come out of what you come out of the shop with. I think Alabama absolutely has to find has to find a way to get him onto the field. Uh, I know that he wants to be a quarterback. 
I think that Alabama could do okay with him as a quarterback. He's probably a 50, 55%, 58% passer, maybe a 60% passer. And so you'd have to have a lot around him uh, for him to be successful, but he's so darn athletic. Uh, I think there's got to be a package. There's got to be something where Alabama gets Jalen on the field and uh, sometimes this fall. And so that's going to be uh, that's going to be fun, uh, interesting and exciting to watch. But the kid is dynamic and I so want him to grow and blossom because, holy cow, if he were to tie up the um, the passing game, his his mechanics a little bit, tighten those up and uh, he would just be. He would be quite incredible. Uh, Ty Simpson, I think, is not, obviously not nearly as athletic, but he certainly demonstrated some athleticism on Saturday. Uh, I think the I think the future of the position is his. I think Jalen is the backup this next season, but I think Ty probably, you know, I would put money down that he's the starter next season. Uh, transfer running back Jamar Gibbs uh, is just a breakaway threat <clears throat> at the tailback position that Alabama has not had. Uh, in quite a number of years. Uh, I think Damian Harris probably broke uh, a couple of long passes, but he was not known as a speedster. Uh, Keelan Robinson wasn't around long enough to really develop a reputation, uh, but he's a he's a kid that we certainly could have used last year. He's sort of lost it at, uh, at Texas. I wish he had hung around, uh, but he, he definitely had some burst. I'd go all the way back thinking about players like Derrick Henry, uh, who's so big and bruising and it's physical, it's hard to think about him as a speedster, but he certainly is. And then uh, Kenyon Drake is just, uh, for my money, one of, one of the most dynamic running backs that, that we've seen at Alabama for quite a while. Uh, I think Jameer Gibbs sort of fits in that category, and it's going to be interesting to see how he's utilized uh, this fall. But his his burst 75-yard run virtually untouched is something that uh, the, the the running game, the explosiveness at the, uh, at the tailback position is something that Alabama has lacked. Uh, we heard some of these names. It's lacked for quite a while. And uh, when we think about Gibbs, I think he has better hands than any of those uh, other names. And so how he can be used, uh, he has the potential to be a pretty dynamic weapon. Uh, you might think Josh, uh, Josh Jacobs, I think he has some of that in his game, uh, but I don't think he's what I would consider like a third down specialist like a, uh, a Jacobs. I think Jameer Gibbs is a, uh, is a three down back. And so he's going to be certainly a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Trey Sanders, uh, he looked right, and and it's it's such a, an inspiring story. And I'm glad Saban spent some time with it, and and uh, and and Trey in in camp did a little bit as well, and uh, and so that's that it's a it's a phenomenal story. His his battle back from from injury, but Saturday and day he just looked right, and his hurdle of uh, Kyrie Jackson signals that he feels right. Otherwise, you don't make that uh, that kind of move, and so that's fun to see. Uh, I think he's going to add, add uh, some dimension at the running back position, and I think he's really going to have some success uh, for the Tide this season. Uh, freshman uh, uh, Jamarian Miller I thought looked really good in uh, the limited carries, but I thought he looked really good. I think he has an opportunity to have a role, uh, especially early, early in the season. The good news for Tide fans is that Jace McClellan and Roy Dell Williams don't need to be rushed along. They don't need to, uh, you know, get back quickly or we're going to be in trouble with the running back position. And there's a nice sort of layering. It'll be it'll be fun to see how sort of this unfolds. Uh, there'll be some reports that they're going to be healthy at the beginning of the season. Jace is going to be healthy uh, before Roy Dale. If you just consider the timing of their injuries uh, as a driver there, there was a multiple week uh, separation there. 
but they don't have to be ready for full load uh, early in the season. They can be brought along slowly. And if that means they don't play uh, early in the season, that's fine. If they only just get a limited amount of carries, if they're on a pitch count, uh, I think that'll be great. And it may sort of blend together where the the first three backs, and and, and I'm saying, you know, Gibbs Sanders and, and maybe the freshman Miller, maybe they start to take the, the bulk of the load. And about the time uh, they might reach three, four games in, Get some get some wear and tear, get some fatigue. Then maybe Jace can can step in and take a few carries, and then maybe Roy Dale can come in and take some carries. So that's going to be interesting. I think the position is going to get, you know, bar an injury again, holy moly. Uh, but I think the position is going to get deeper and stronger as the season goes on. Uh, not just because the backs are going to get better and more familiar with the system, but there's there's suddenly going to be more backs available, and so that's going to be uh, that's going to be a fun thing to certainly track and watch there. The wide receiver position, there's a lot of names <clears throat> that uh, that we can talk about, and I don't want to just inventory names, but just a couple of thoughts on uh, a couple of the fellas. I know Christian Leary looked like a target. He looked really solid on Saturday. Certainly the quarterbacks were comfortable with him, uh, or Jalen was, and so that's going to be fun to see. I think that he can fit a capacity there. Maybe there's a slot role that, uh, that he can service. Jermaine Burton. I just think he didn't really have to do anything. It's fun to see him uh, on Saturday. I don't think he had to demonstrate a whole lot, and I don't know necessarily that he did, but he's a known commodity, and he's going to come in, and he's going to be the number one or the number two receiver. And in reset, it's hard to say in Alabama offenses because I, I think I take a longer sort of look at that. But over the last several years, uh, the Alabama offense in the wide receiver position, as we know, has been prolific. And so if you're the number one or number two receiver in in this stretch of offense, it doesn't matter. You're going to get a lot of catches. You're going to get a lot of opportunities. And so Burton's going to be the one or the two, and uh, it, I think we can just write that in. Uh, Ja'Cory Brooks did not participate, but he is one of the receivers that really started the blossom late last season. And so I look at, you know, Leary, Burton, and Brooks is three really good receivers uh, Treshawn Holden, I think, uh, has phenomenal hands. He has a uh, an opportunity to be certainly a contributor. Uh, JoJo Earl ended up putting pretty decent numbers if you look at his final stats, but he had quite a number of drops, and so he didn't look like he was uh, altogether right. Uh, I think he has still the opportunity to be to be quite an explosive player. So there's a, a, a there starts to be a pretty good pool of players. A couple of the true freshmen, I just thought they look full grown. Kendrick Law and Aaron Anderson. It's going to be interesting to watch them develop and what sort of role they develop into. Uh, but they look fully grown there. And so that's what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven wide receivers. That's pretty deep right there. And uh, that that's before we get into uh, uh, Tyler Harrell, the speedster uh, potential transfer at the time of recording potential transfer from Louisville. Louisville. I think that sort of resets uh, the top if if he were to come over. Uh, he might be a one or two with with Burton, and, and you could sort of you know flip them uh, one one or two for either of them. You know, there's a template that uh, exists at Alabama now because of what JMO did last year. And what's interesting, I predicted probably in a summer podcast, and maybe even in my preseason stuff. You know, I predicted you know JMO doesn't have to be an all-star to contribute significantly to the team. He just needs to demonstrate his speed and spread the uh, 
and, and, and just spread the defense and go vertical a little bit and create some, some open space underneath. And really that's all he needed to do. That was sort of my philosophy. And it's a, and, and there's, there's validity to it, but he certainly came in and was on a whole nother level. And I think, you know, Tyler Harrell, he can come in and, and he has a couple of options. If he's not quite JMO, but he still has the speed to spread the field, then that's that contributes. That that helps. And when I say not quite JMO, that's almost unfair. But the model is there that if he is consistent speedster, spread the defense, it creates separation underneath. He's a weapon. And Alabama coaches will will know that Alabama's not afraid to use it. And and he'll almost get an extra sort of benefit of the doubt because other teams have seen Alabama have success with that that type of receiver, that style of receiver. And so it's sort of a known template. Tyler can come in if he makes that decision. He can come in knowing the role that uh, he's signing up for and knowing that that can be a very, very successful uh, role. So that's going to be uh, interesting to see. Uh, Ajay Hall, uh, I sort of referenced him uh, is in, I guess, something of, of an opening. And uh, I, I just, I mean, I like the kid. Um, I, not that I know him personally, but uh, just as, as, a, as an Alabama player, I respect, I appreciate him, I like him. Uh, but I think some guys just can't, they can't sort it out. They can't get out of their own way. And, uh, and Hall strikes me very, very similar. Uh, my thought is, when I think of Ajay Hall, I think of a kid like Dalen Charlotte. Came in, appeared to have a lot of talent, and just couldn't put it together. And uh, Dalen Charlotte transferred to uh, uh, Kansas, and that was the last anybody kind of ever heard of him. Don't know what Hall's going to do. Uh, there's some talk that he's going to transfer to Texas, and so uh, at least he'll be in a little more of a, of a limelight, and that'll be interesting to see. And, look, he could develop still into something. He's 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 a youngster, but uh, I think uh, I think he needs to get out of his own way and just and put his head down and, and go to work. I think the list of receivers on the roster, there was just too many of them, and they were all talented in their own way, and I didn't even list all of them. And, uh, and, and some guys struggle with that. And I think, uh, Hall, uh, Hulk clearly did I want to talk about the tight end, uh, position Cameron Latou. He's a favorite of mine. Uh, I know that people still say, well, he's looks like a defensive end playing tight end. And, uh, that's not a nice thing when someone says that that's, that's not a, that's not a nice thing. I think he looks a little lighter than he did last year. And that's not going to help his blocking. But I thought that he was effective uh, at time. He can certainly work on his hands. I don't dispute that. Uh, but I thought he was uh, a high energy, a high motor, athletic, a big, a big athletic, a little bit lumbering. That's okay. We saw him get run run down from behind against Georgia. I think he's dropped a little bit, probably a little bit faster. Uh, and he's just a high motor, high energy uh, guy and and I have a great deal of respect for him finding a way to get on the field and contribute and he contributed last year so much more than I ever thought that he would and uh, this year I think he has a really good platform uh, from which uh, to build. There was a uh, a play in a day where the pass was a little bit in front of him, maybe a little bit low and and it was intercepted and uh, we can we can discuss should he have he should he have been able to sort of reach out and snag the ball. That's a fair discussion. I'm not going to argue that. Uh, but what he did do is he chased down. Uh, he chased down the the interception. Actually, knocked the ball loose. I think it was a Jordan Battle who who caught that. Uh, knocked the ball loose. Uh, forced a fumble. The defense recovered that fumble as well. But uh, I like the effort. I like the energy. He stuck with the play even uh, when it, when it went 
it look, went a little bit sideways. Listen to me going a little bit sideways. But when we think about the tight end position as a, as a whole, and as much as I just have a soft spot for Cameron Latou, it's a weak position, and it might be the weakest position uh, on the roster. For my money, and we're going to talk about offensive line, but for my money, Kendall Randolph, he's not good enough at tackle to not uh, to be pulled away from uh, the tight end position. He would have to be really good at tackle for us to lose what he can contribute at the tight end position. I don't think he's that good of a tackle. I just don't. He's a blocking tight end, and, and he's quite effective at that. And we need a sort of a motion tight end that can line up on either side, that can block, that can be an effective. And Randolph fits that fits that bill. I respect the fact that Saban's given him a chance to compete for a starting tackle position. I really, really do. I think you owe it to the kid. But I think when push comes to shove, uh, is he going to be in the top three or four tackles? I don't think so. Is he going to be in the top two tight end and play a lot? Yes, absolutely. And so you give him a chance, you respect the kid, you give him spring and you sit down and you say, do you want to play or do you not want to play? And uh, and if you want to play tackle, it's probably somewhere else. But you know that you know, based on the last two years, you're going to get a lot of reps and a lot of play. And you know what? We'll toss you the ball a couple of times. I think that's an easy conversation. I think Randolph stays, and I think he uh, plays at the tight end position. But there's still not a lot. There's still not a lot after that. Uh, we've got three incoming freshmen that I think are going to have a significant amount of opportunity. Uh, Amari Nyblock, I think, is the name that everyone's going to remember. Less of a blocker, more of a uh, sort of a big wide receiver. Uh, he might be, uh, you might say that he's the replacement uh, for uh, Julio Billingsley. So we'll see how that plays out. But I guarantee you, uh, Danny Lewis and uh, Elijah Brown, uh, fellow freshmen coming in at the tight end uh, position, they're going to see reps. They will play. Uh, so we're going to sort out the, the tight end position. If there were a transfer opportunity, uh, tight end for me would be at or near the top of the list. Uh, we think about Carl Tucker a, a couple of years ago that never really sort of settled into a, a role, which was really surprising. Uh, to me, gosh, if there's a Carl Tucker out there, hey, if you hear me, if this mic goes on, if you're a Carl Tucker type player and uh, you want to get some significant play, come on down to Tuscaloosa and uh, we'll hook you up because uh, I think the tide, the tide could use some help, I think, at the tight end position. All right. Now I'm talking about Alabama needing help at the tight end position and everyone else has, has, has been listening and screaming into their earbuds or whatever and saying, when are you going to talk about the offensive line? Because you were emphatic in uh, some of your talk about the offensive line last year, and you haven't talked about it yet. Well, I'm going to talk about it now, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to take I'm going to play the long game on the offensive line. I'm not mad at the offensive line like I was most of last season. Uh, I think it's unfair to evaluate the unit in a split squad practice unless it's a veteran unit with a lot of returning players, and this just isn't. Uh, if we look at uh, Emil Echior sitting out. Uh, Darian Dalcourt sitting out and uh, uh, in the Vanderbilt transfer, uh, Tyler Steen. Between those three players, I think there's two starters there that were not available. And so when you take two starters away from the first team, then you're pulling them from the second team. And then the second team has to go get players from the third team. And so you got two lines uh, on a day and you're into your you're into your three deep just to get two lines 
And uh, I just I don't think that's that's ever a place you want to be. And you're at it, it I, you know, at a couple of positions, right? Because Dalcourt and, and Echior, and again, I think Steen is going to provide really some, uh, you know, some depth there as well. Now he himself, I think, is going to start, uh, but he's starting in front of someone that goes, you know, to the second team, and that just makes the unit uh, as a whole a lot better. I think the offensive line. Uh, Mark Slayworth said something that I always thought was interesting, and I've said it before, but it's been quite a while. He talks about the offensive line and how the offensive line plays as a unit. And he said, you know, if the offensive line runs the wrong play, but everyone across the line runs the same wrong play, then you have a chance to still do pretty good because the design is to account for blocking, you know, the defensive front. And so if you have one guy that go the wrong way, then you leave a gaping hole. But if everyone runs the, the wrong play in the wrong direction, then you've essentially just the wall might be different than the play is designed for, but you still, you know, in theory have a line. And so the line plays really as one, I don't want to say one person, but they play as truly as a unit, which is very different than a lot of the other positions uh, across the field. And uh, I think, when you're looking for the best five, you got to find the best five before you can get reps with that five together. And we're still looking for the best five. And uh, like I said, I think two of the five, 40% were not on the field uh, Saturday. So that's going to be interesting to see. If Alabama offensive line were a stock, I would buy it right now. You could buy it low and, uh, and, and you could do all right. I mentioned Kendall Randolph. He's not a left tackle. Uh, he just looked he looked small in the in the position. And uh, uh, and I, I just he's not, you know, for my money, he's not a left tackle, maybe right tackle. Uh, I don't know. But I think he's too valuable as a tight end. So that's my guess there. Uh, J.C. Latham. And I've been high on this kid. He might be a guard. Um, I just didn't see him demonstrate quick feet uh, a couple times, even at the right, uh, even at the right tackle position. And so he's got to have some quick feet. And uh, I didn't quite see that. Now, not 100% fair considering who he was going against uh, the Alabama uh, defensive ends and outside linebackers. But I, uh, I, I wasn't as impressed uh, as I wanted to be in that regard. I think he'd be a really good uh, guard. I think we got a lot of guys that could be really good guards. Uh, we got to find a couple that can stand out uh, at the at the tackle position. So, absolutely, absolutely, we will see how that goes. You know, one guy to watch, uh, uh, Javon Cohen. Uh, he started at the left guard last season as a freshman. Does he get a look at tackle? I think potentially he does. So, at the right tackle position, probably we keep him at guard. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. Like I said, I think we have a lot of guards, and uh, we need to see who, who can step up in the tackle position. I think Tyler Steen probably has an inside track to the left tackle. If he doesn't get that, he's certainly going to get the right tackle. But who is going to be better at the left tackle? And I just don't know. Uh, Amari Kite, maybe. But uh, we'll see. There'll be a lot of competition. Uh, I don't think the offensive line is going to be great. Don't hear me say that. But we're going to be okay. We've got a lot of names, a lot of talent. I really like the new offensive line coach, uh, Eric Wolford. Uh, coming in from Kentucky, and I guarantee you, I guarantee to you that when he walks into the offensive line room, he thinks it's Christmas morning. The bodies that are in there, the athletes that are in there, uh, the size, the speed, the agility that he has in that offensive line room is 
light years above what he had at Kentucky. And they put together some pretty good offensive lines uh, there at Kentucky the last couple of years. And so I think he's got a lot more raw material. I don't think he's been around long enough to mold that. But uh, let's give him a full uh, summer uh, conditioning and uh, fall camp. And I'd put money on the offensive line. Again, if it were a stock, you could get it on the discount uh, today. And I think it's uh, it's going to only go up in value, I think, materially. All right, let's flip the field to defense. And I think we got to start, uh, you know, the strongest unit on the team. And uh, that's outside linebacker, defensive end, depends on how you want to call it. Uh, they're walk-up, hand-in-the-ground, outside linebackers, and so that sort of makes them look like defensive ends. Looks like a five-man front a lot of times, uh, but technically they are uh, outside linebackers. Will Anderson is just a beast, uh, you know, officially. Uh, he's an ass-kicker. Uh, Dallas Turner, I think, is just right there. And, um, you know, how many times do we talk about last season, Will Anderson, his numbers didn't live up to his play because he was contributing, contributing, contributing. Uh, but they weren't all staff gen- stat generating plays, and uh, uh, Dallas Turner I think benefited by that. And uh, last season he had a couple of uh, two sack games, and we're focused on Will Anderson and, and the, this other guy who's three deep. I mean, come on, uh, is coming in and making these plays. If you're an offensive coach, if you're an offensive line coach, you got to be nervous because now you know, like, hey, it's not Will Anderson and some other guy. It's Will Anderson. Damn it, it's Dallas Turner over there. And uh, I think Chris Braswell is uh, developing as well. I like some of the backups, and uh, and it's going to be interesting to see. I think there's going to be an incredible amount of depth. And late in games, uh, when Alabama starts to rest some of the starters, late in games, I think the defensive front and getting after uh, passing quarterbacks is still going to be a nightmare. Uh, freshman uh, uh, Jaheed uh, Campbell, I like Canoe Cott and uh, Quadarius Robinson, and there's so many others that uh, I think are going to be certainly fun to watch uh, at the outside linebacker defensive end position. A lot of ass kickers there. Uh, The defensive line, I think, is deep and really strong up the middle. I don't think there's a name brand player. I don't think there's the star of the defensive line. There will be. But as we were to is if we were to predict right now, I just I I wouldn't know who who I would call. I might put my money on Byron Young if I had to name someone because maybe it's the number, maybe it's the body type, but he had some explosive uh, sacks and he looked like a, a, Fidel, uh, a, a Phil Mathis light, not light weight, but light just anyways, we know where I'm going there. Uh, defensive uh, line, like I said, I think it's strong up the middle. I think Jaheim Otis is going to be a future star. I really, really do. And uh, but I like the depth. I like the talent that we have there. Tim Smith, uh, Jamil Burroughs is a guy that two years ago, 2020, uh, really flashed. And I expected more out of him in, in 2021 and was kind of surprised that it didn't happen. I think we start to see some of that this year. Uh, DJ Dale looks lighter. He looks a little more fit. And uh, so uh, I think that's going to be uh, he physically he looks more Duran Payne than he did you know, say last year ago, uh, last year, uh, not all the way, but, uh, I think he's, I think he's looking a little more imposing and maybe another, some more time away from that knee sprain, uh, I think is going to help him. So I like the defensive line. I like the defensive front. Uh, again, I don't, there's not a Jonathan Allen. There's not a, a film, uh, Mathis. There's not a, a, a Q, uh, there's not that style of player yet. Uh, but I think there's a lot of talent and I think we're going to see a lot of pressure 
And, uh, and frankly, I think the defensive front, their job is going to be easier because those defensive ends, um, and so they might play a little more contained. But it's going to be interesting uh, to see how it plays out. I, I, really like, uh, I really like how the front seven or front eight is going to shape up. Jalen Moody at middle linebacker, uh, I really like him. He would rotate in sometimes last year, not a whole lot, but he would rotate sometimes in on a rush down when we wanted a um, little more sure tackler you know, fill in, fill in the gaps. And so I think he's going to bring some of that versatility is we're going to lose some speed at the linebacker position relative to uh, Christian Harris, but I like what Moody does in terms of attack the line uh, play. And that may allow Henry Toa to play off the line a little bit and use his speed uh, edge to edge. And so that's going to be interesting to see. I do think we probably settle into a three man rotation at the um, more of a three man rotation at the uh, linebacker position. I think it's a clear two with a three, uh, and uh, but the three plays a lot more than like last year. Moody would have been the three, but it was really a clear two, and then Moody came in every once in a while. I think it's going to be a clear two with a three that plays more, uh, and then it's anybody's guess now as to who that would be. Uh, I'll come closer to making predictions as we get closer to the season. The Alabama secondary, I think, is absolutely loaded. I think if you were to take – uh, if we were to draft, if you and me were to draft secondary players, then we might have two of the best secondaries in the SEC because I think the Alabama talent in the backfield and the defensive backfield is just that good. So think about the cornerback position. Uh, Eli Ricks is a transfer from LSU. Uh, certainly we know that uh, or we suspect that he's going to be very good. Uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry, we see the trajectory that he's on. He has a chance to to really be uh, an SEC uh, all-conference number one uh, uh, cornerback. I think he's on that – talent-wise, he's on that trajectory. Uh, I really like Kyrie Jackson, who, you know, three or four deep last year came on and played very well late. Uh, and so he has some big game experience to, uh, from which to build. And I just – he's a big-bodied, big-frame uh, cornerback. I think he has a chance to be really, really good. And a uh, kid that came in uh, last year didn't play a whole lot, uh, but just is supposed to have all the talent in the world. Uh, Terry and Arnold, <clears throat> I think he's going to be a super tough uh, kid to keep off the field. I'm not sure who st- who he steps in front of because I've already listed four players at the cornerback position. Like I said, if we did a draft and you took two of them and I took two of them, uh, you know, I think we're both going to be pretty happy. And um, and that's uh, that's what I see there in the uh, at, at the cornerback position, the safety position. For my money, I think it's even deeper. You've got uh, Jordan Battle and Demarco Hellums coming back. Either or both of those guys could have gone pro, and we would have respected that. It wouldn't have been a terrible decision uh, for either of them. Probably more Battle than Hellums, but but nonetheless. And then we've got uh, Brian Branch, uh, who really was a revelation last year. Uh, got better and better and better and better as the season progressed. And Malachi Moore did not play a lot last year, uh, especially as the season went on. I think he's got sort of a nagging back injury, but uh, he came out and played hard. He played physical. You could you could tell that he's put a lot. He, he's he sort of added some bulk, added some weight. He looked more muscular. Uh, not that he wasn't, but I could just tell he looks like he's put in some reps in the weight room. Malachi Moore. And so hopefully he's going to be back and more at 100%. And, you know, already that gives us four 
uh, safeties. And I'll tell you what, who to watch out for. And he's been, you know, you read the articles, you read the stories. And so maybe I'm just uh, falling into that. But watching him play a little bit, I like Christian's story. And I've always, as a recruit, I thought he might have a longer circular path to, to the playing field. But when he get, when he arrives, when he hits, when he pops, he's he's going to be a good player. And um, I'm going to say this now, and, and sort of you know to the extent that you remember what I you know what we talk about here, that's great. Christian, uh, I'm going to talk about Christian's story in the context of Demarco Hellams. Now, if we think about 2020, Demarco Hellams, you know, Demarco Hellams rotated in 2020 with um, Daniel Wright. So they sort of platooned, and we talked about that terminology on the podcast. And last year, Helms platooned uh, also. He was not the full-time starter. Now, he he started ahead uh, of, of, you know, he would rotate some with with, uh, with Brian Branch and, and some with, with Wright as well. But DeMarco Helms probably played closer to 70% of the – I haven't run the numbers, but uh, it wasn't a 50-50 split. Uh, and Helms would would put up, I think he was the number three tackler on the team, and he put up really good numbers, but he was always good for a bonehead play. And um, and we talked about that. Now, we love the kid, but we're just saying he's always sort of, you know, prone to that. And so what I think that the coaching staff may try to do is how do we put him on the field where we maximize his contribution, his big plays, his double-digit tackle games, but we manage down the situations that that give you know him an opportunity to maybe make the 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 suspect play, and so how do we sort of balance that? Well, two years in a row we've platooned uh, someone, and so I start to I start to look at you know a player like Christian Story at the safety position. He might have a cleaner path to sort of platoon at a position than say a Terry and Arnold. Uh, or whoever doesn't, uh, you know, if Ricks and Kool-Aid are the two corners, Kyrie Jackson may have a, a, a tough time finding the field. Taron Arnold might have a tough time seeing the field. But Christian Story, he may kind of sneak in the back door because he has an opportunity maybe to pl- platoon with DeMarco Helms. And you think, gosh, DeMarco Helms is a senior. You know, who's going to knock him off? Well, you know, history's, history, the last couple of years, history has told us that that he's platooned, and, and I think there's reasons for that. And Christian Story may be a guy that uh, can sort of steal some reps there. So that'll be interesting to watch. I don't know if I'd go full on predicting it, but it's certainly a thought process that I have there. Uh, I'm going to switch oh, maybe a little bit off the field. Uh, Dylan Moses uh, was cut this past week uh, from the Jags. And I'm just going to tell you that's heartbroken, uh, heart, heartbreaking. Uh, as Alabama fans, it feels like we've known Dylan Moses for years. And you know what? We have. He committed to Alabama as an eighth grader, and that was sort of a, a, a national story. And so, you know, even before his high school career, he was linked to Alabama, and then he was at Alabama, and uh, and he had a knee injury and and missed missed a season and came back and wasn't quite himself, and you know had, had somehow he got All America, which God bless him, I want him to to have awards like that, but just to play on the field didn't represent. And then he had surgery in February, and then he went undrafted last season. And if there's ever a player that you think, dude, if you had just come back, I think that he would have been, um, I want to say, taken care of at Alabama. I don't think he, he, I think he would have played. He would have gotten some playing time, uh, health permitting. Uh, he would have been in a rotation, so he would have been able to flourish 
without sort of putting, uh, you know, extra burden or risk of, of injury. And, you know, because the world has changed uh, so quickly over the last year, he might, uh, and I say this a little bit tongue in cheek and a little bit, maybe not, he might have had the opportunity to make more money at Alabama last year than he did with Jacksonville. So that's kind of an interesting thing, but uh, I, I hate it for the kid. Uh, now, hopefully he gets picked up somewhere uh, and we'll see how that plays out. But uh, I, I tell you what, uh, Dylan Moses is a player that should have come back. And uh, I really hate that he didn't. I didn't think it was a good decision when he made it. And uh, I hate, and I, I would love to be wrong. And, uh, but uh, we'll see how that plays out. All right. I'm going to shift gears and I'm going to talk about recruiting. And I don't talk about recruiting a whole lot, but I think I've, uh, and we talked about this on a Zoom call uh, a, a couple of, a couple of Zoom calls uh, ago. We've done a couple, I think we've done three since, uh, since well, I, three or four in this calendar year. But I think we've done two since, like, the season ended. Uh, we did, um, I can't remember, I think one in March and, and uh, one just this last Saturday, and we're doing another one um, this Saturday that can be super cool. But um, not Saturday, but a week, but the, an earlier one, we talk about Arch Manning because we just talk about whatever football topics come to mind. And so Arch Manning, and I have sort of a theory on uh, Arch Manning. You've got, you know, you think about recruiting and all of these schools and kids could go just anywhere and it, and it feels boundless. And, uh, and you want to get a good recruit and you think that good recruit could go anywhere. Now, we have a gravitational pull with Saban and a success at Alabama, I understand, but good players still go to a lot of different schools, and it feels like, you know, the best of the best of the best still could go anywhere, and Alabama might not get them, and that's true, but where's it going to go? Now, I ask that more as a challenge than a question. Where's he going to go? Where would he go? Arch Manning is, let's face it, whether you like the Mannings or not, it's a little bit of football royalty. And so he can't just go anywhere. If he were Arch Smith, he could go anywhere. But he's Arch Manning. And so he is the crown prince. And I'm being a little bit silly, but let's think this through. He's the crown prince. Where's he going to go? He can't just go anywhere. He has to go someplace that's, air quotes, worthy. Well, where is that? What would be a worthy destination? Hey, Georgia just won the national title. And boy, they could benefit by a better quarterback. Where, what better place for him to go? Well, I don't know. Talk to Jacob Eason. Talk to Justin Fields. Talk to TJ Daniels. Talk to Stetson Bennett. Oh, talk to the Jermaine Burton. Why would he go to Georgia? They can't. They, there's a proven inability to maintain a quarterback room. Now, I like Kirby Smart and all that stuff, and congrats to them winning the national title. But as a program, they've not demonstrated in the last six or eight years that they can run a quarterback room. If you're one of the Mannings, is that where you're going to send Arch? Probably not. Ohio State. Now, that's an interesting one. Uh, they've got definitely some good quarterbacks on the roster. For my money, I think that's too north. I don't think uh, I don't think the Mannings go north. Uh, Ole Miss, Eli played there, 
And Archie played there. And so there's some lure and some tieback. And boy, that's a good old southern school, about as good as it gets. And if you're not going to go north, and boy, you just stay in the south and go to the a good old southern school. Yeah, but Ole Miss, for all the lure, do you want to send the crown prince to play for Lane Kiffin? I don't think you do. I don't think you do. Uh, Texas, Texas, Texas is a big program. Texas is a stage. Texas is is worthy. Now the record, eh, you know, maybe it's not so good, but we're building. And you come here, Arch, and bring all the recruits that are going to come with you. This is a stage and platform, and it could be. It may very well be. Uh, but do you trust that Sark's going to last two or three years there, given what happened last year? And uh, unless it turns around quickly, I think uh, I think Sark may be branded. And so, can you guarantee that that Sark is going to be the coach three or four years from now? I don't know that you can. LSU is local, and uh, they have an adult coach now. And so maybe that's something. I would think, if you were to ask the right people, I would think that LSU went and got someone, an adult coach, I would say, for the sole purpose of trying to land, not the sole purpose, but a motivating factor is to have a legit opportunity at Arch. Odron wasn't going to get him. If you're the Manning, are you going to send – are you going to send Arch to play for Ogeron? You're not. Would you play him? Would you send him now? Yeah, you might. You might. There's a lot of talent that could draw. That team could rebound. LSU, I would consider a dark horse. Clemson, fancy program, still in the South. They've had a lot of success, but it's Dabo. And Dabo is on record now is saying that he's not interested in chasing talent. Uh, he makes cute little comments about uh, our transfer portal Portal is in the locker room. And, uh, well, that's cute, and that's kind of old school, and uh, some players may like that. But some players are sitting in that locker room saying, we don't have enough dudes. You got to go get us some dudes. And if there's some dudes that you can go get, then we're going to be better. Alabama doesn't just bring in anybody. They bring in dudes. They bring in curated players at positions of need, and the team instantly gets better. It gets better than just we fill a spot across an already strong team, and the team just gets that much better. What what Dabo, God bless him, seems to not be something that he's interested in. And so would you send your Manning child uh, to play at Clemson and Dabo when they might be a program that's not always looking for the best talent? That might be uh, an interesting question. I think an intriguing pick. An intriguing pick for Arch would be USC. Uh, Lincoln Riley is uh, sort of a name brand coach who's had great success with quarterbacks. I know that's something the Mannings are very, very interested in. I think it's an easy path to winning. I think USC uh, gets uh, gets some players there, gets some talent there in the Pac-10 or Pac-12. They have an opportunity uh, for success. It's a worthy stage. I mean, it's L.A. It's a worthy stage. It's worthy of the Manning name and that quarterback leading that program uh, to success. I think uh, I think it's a little too West Coast, though. Now, I know the Mannings don't fly, uh, fly private, but uh, you have a late West Coast game, and and uh, Archie and Olivia, boy, that's that's a long late-night flight uh, back to Louisiana uh, on early, you know, Sunday morning uh, flight coming out of L.A., and, uh, and your Sunday is half gone. I think they'd rather play somewhere closer where they can – 
you know, the game ends at 10 o'clock, they can hop a private jet and they can be home by midnight. I think that's kind of what they're they're looking for. And so USC is intriguing as it could be. Uh, it checks a lot of boxes. It's just there's a couple things there that I think the Manning family might uh, uh, might not be as keenly interested in. And so what are we left with? What are we left with? Well, Alabama checks all the boxes, right? It's uh, it's a name brand program. If you list all of these programs, uh, Alabama has more sex- success than all of them over the last uh, decade and a half. Uh, Coach Saban is, is, is a legend. It's in the South. It's close. It's a pro program. Uh, in, in, in the college ranks, it's, it's run as a professional program. You're always going to have the best talent. Look at what Alabama is doing uh, to, to build talent around Bryce. Uh, we're bringing in a wide receiver, maybe a second wide receiver, an offensive lineman, a running back. And so you know, you know, Dabo's saying, we're standing pat. My transfer portal's in the locker room. Coach Saban is like, I have an opportunity to bring in a starting running back, a starting receiver, maybe two starting receivers and a, and a starting running back. You mean there's players out there that would want to come here, that can come here. The rules permit them to come here, and they're better than what we've got. Why would we not do that? Why would we not do that? And so you've got a coach that demonstrates not only – is he willing to dabble in the uh, portal? But he's quite adept at it uh, as well. And so, for my money, where are you going to go? I think it's Alabama. Uh, I think uh, Arch comes to uh, Alabama, and uh, I don't think it's close. I mean, there's going to be like, oh, I mean, USC's interesting. LSU's like, oh, there's a little heartstring tug because it's close. Uh, a little bit of a dark horse. There's a lot of these that I just, you know, look at the facts. Look at what they are. Look at the circumstance. Look at the situation. Now you're not going to go there. And so what rises up to the top? You can't beat Alabama. All right, I'm going to finish with one thought. And um, and uh, this is sort of an interesting thing. Love him or hate him. I'm a big fan of Colin Cowherd. Uh, I don't like all of his takes. I don't agree with everything that he says. But and, and look, he's got three hours or four hours to fill every day. And so not every thought that he has is, is fully sort of in, invested I understand that, and I flub up, uh, and I say silly stuff uh, on this, and I'm not doing it live. But there are some things that that Colin, you know, so he has some core concepts that he sort of plays with, and anytime he sort of brings up a concept two and three and four times and sort of evolves it over time, these are things that he's thinking about. He's investing time in, he's researching, he's studying, and he's got one that I just think is phenomenal. And and he and he, and he and there's three people that he sort of wraps around this. And it's Bill Belichick, and it's Coach Saban, and it's Tom Brady. And he asked the question, why would they retire? Yep, they're all getting up there in age relative to their peers. But the job for each of them, the job has never been easier than it is right now. Think about the two coaches, the experience they have relative to their peers, the youth in the youth movement in coaches, the young quarterbacks, and in the in the young coaches and in Saban and Belichick, they have more reps than anyone. They've forgotten more football than some of the coaches they're coaching against knows. And so that makes their job uh, easier. You know, Manning is is even at his age is one of the best quarterbacks in, in his division. So and he 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 didn't he even came back. He retired and is like, holy shit. Or why would I? Because mentally, I understand the game so much. There's almost nothing that you can throw at, me, throw at me as a player or some of these coaches that I've not seen, that I've not beaten before, that I've not schemed against, that I've not. And so 
all of it in that regard becomes easier. Now, the rules that are taking place, uh, the rule changes that are taking place in the NFL, and I'm going to focus more on college, the rules that are that are taking place actually continue to make it easier for Saban. And so think of think of just the SEC, the pressure and the turnover that happens at the coaching positions at uh, at these other programs. It undermines the continuity. It undermines their stability. It undermines their uh, ability to recruit. Meanwhile, Saban's just adding another year to his to his tenure to his resume at Alabama. And so there's more stability that he's compete that he is going to have more success recruiting against. Speaking of recruiting, Saban shops. He doesn't recruit. He shops. He puts out a shingle of what here's what we need. Uh, I, I think the the recruiting pitch, the sales pitch. Uh, I think it writes itself. It's pretty dynamic what Alabama has to offer. And Saban is a master salesman in that regard. Saban plays the trends better than anyone in college football. If you were to write down Saban's answer, transcribe his answer to some questions around the portal and NIL and and the evolution of the game, and you were to write down, transcribe Dabo Sweeney's, uh, and you were to to hand them uh, to to someone and say, which of these is the 70-year-old man and which of these is the 50-year-old man? With a grumpier, it's the way we've always done it. We're not going to change. We're not going to do these things. We're going to continue to do it the way we've always done it because we've had success. That sounds like the 70-year-old man. The one that's like, hey, let's roll with it. I'm not sure I agree with all that, but we're going to figure out how to make it work best for us. That sounds like the younger man, right? That sounds like the, the, the I'm up for the next challenge. That doesn't sound like the 70-year-old man. That doesn't sound like the guy who's who's looking at lots to build his retirement uh, house on. And so Saban, I think, plays that uh, very, very well. The transfer portal, I think, is is Saban's genie lamp. Uh, you're going to have some misses in recruiting, and, and the transfer portal just allows Saban an opportunity to clean up those. Anything that is that is supposed to make it harder, and there's rules and there's changes and all that, all the rules that are sort of intended to make it harder to recruit, they make it harder for everyone else, not for not for saving. I've always said, you know, pretty girls are going to get dates. And so you make it harder to do that, but the most attractive programs are still going to be the most attractive programs. The most attractive coaches are still going to be the most attractive coaches. And um, and that's and that's what we see. Uh, you know, Saban mentions a position. Think about the portal. Saban mentions a position of need. And then he mentions Sal Sanceri is managing the the transfer portal. He's out looking for what names hit the portal and if it's a fit or if it's an opportunity or if it's a position of need for us. And he just says that in a in a press conference. And and we're just, we're numb to what he's really doing there. What he's doing is is he's hanging a banner. He's he's planting a flag. He's saying, now you know who to contact if you're interested in coming to Alabama because it's this guy watching the portal. He knows what our needs are. He knows what we're looking for. And so don't think players don't reach out and say, hey, if I were to portal, would you have a position open for me? Don't think that doesn't happen. I think the kid at LSU or the at Louisville, I think, is probably a good example of that. Hey, would you be interested in a speedy receiver that potentially can do some of the things like Jimmo did? Why, yes, I think we would. What's your name? Let's look at some tape. And and uh, and I think it, that's a pretty straightforward uh, conversation. I guarantee you, if I were to say on this podcast, hey, I'm really hunting a, a Weller antique uh, or a 1792 bottle and bond, uh, no one's going to send that to me. 
But if Saban has a press conference tomorrow and says, boy, we need a left tackle. We need a tackle like, or to really complete this team. Or this team won't be competitive next year if we can't figure out the tight end position. He'll have people reach out. He'll have players that will say, I will be there tomorrow if you'll guarantee me a landing spot. And so he, I say something, nothing happens, and that's okay. Saban says we need or I wish we had or if we could do this or this would be the last sort of piece that and, – and he'll he'll have kids pick up the phone call, uh, uh, whatever the kids use, the Twitter, the Instagram uh, for Sal Sensory would light up with players wanting to be that guy to answer that question or serve that need at, uh, at Alabama. And so um, I think – and again, you know, again, I, we have evidence that this happens, right? Because Jambo came last year, Burton came last year when there was there was need at the wide receiver position. Tyler Harrell is coming uh, potentially when we know that. Gosh, a speedy receiver. This is what they can do with that over there. Same coach, same quarterback, same offensive coordinator. Why would I not want to do that? And uh, and we needed an offensive line uh, lineman. Evan uh, Evan Neal goes, and so you know Tyler Steen comes over, and so these things make the job easier for Saban. Look, I can't tell you how long Saban will stay at Alabama. I don't know. I just have to think that he's not in a hurry to leave because the job gets easier. And I can't guarantee how how long necessarily he'll stay, but I can guarantee you this. And I'm going to go out on this. Saban will stay at will stay at Alabama for at least the duration of Arch's college career. So there you go. All right, with that, I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, probably went a little bit longer than uh, than I was thinking, but I certainly hope you enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun going back, watching A-Day, and, and sort of immersing myself in sort of the uh, the players and the roster and certainly shaking off some of the rust there and probably hearing some of that here. But uh, hopefully hopefully uh, you enjoy it, enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully reach out. If there's any questions, if there's anything that we want to engage in in the offseason, let me know because I want to do more of these as we get into you know summer camp and, and certainly into fall camp as well. So definitely reach out. I love the engagement. Man, Saturday Zoom call. I hope you can make it. And uh, with that, we're going to sign off. This has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and, of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide.